Sleep medications are helpful, but they are not a long-term solution, and they usually don't work all the way. Today, we'll teach you how to harness the biological drives that can help you fall asleep on your own. The Pocket Psychiatrist is your guide to a healthy brain, because people need more than medications to get well. I'm Dr. Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlat Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and I'm living proof that this stuff works. No one has perfect sleep, but how do you know when your sleep system is so broken that it needs repair? In this podcast, we'll teach you how to repair your sleep. But first, let's clarify what it means to have a broken sleep system, or as doctors call it, primary insomnia. There are three types of insomnia. One, when it takes more than half an hour to fall asleep. Two, when you wake up in the middle of the night or early morning and can't fall back asleep. Three, when your sleep is such poor quality that you don't feel rested even when you get it. But all of us have a rough night from time to time, and insomnia is only a disorder when it happens repeatedly. And here we have numbers. At least three nights out of the week for at least one month. Sounds kind of arbitrary, but there's some logic to those limits, and it has to do with the most common cause of insomnia. When things are going well, our inner clock corrects itself after a night of poor sleep. The clock is set by neurohormones like melatonin, cortisol, and about a dozen other chemicals that rise and fall over a 24-hour cycle in our body. The clock is pretty smart, and it usually resets itself if we let it go about its business. We can get in the way of that repair, however, when we do things to compensate for a night of poor sleep. Things like sleeping in or napping to catch up, drinking more caffeine, or worrying too much if we'll be able to sleep the next night. Those are all natural reactions to insomnia, but they make the problem worse in the long term. It's like trying to catch your breath. If you think too much about your breathing and try too hard to get just the right amount of air in, you'll end up feeling more short of breath than before. Best to trust your lungs to do their job. Sometimes they'll draw in too much oxygen or too little, but they'll self-correct and smooth out any bumps along the way. You're going to see this theme throughout this podcast. Part of sleeping better is learning to trust your body to do its best. It may not be perfect, but it generally does a better job than we can. Now, there are two therapies for insomnia. The first is sleep hygiene. It's like first aid for insomnia, a series of basic steps that work well when the problem is just starting out. That can keep a few nights of bad sleep from turning into months or years of a sleep disorder. If first aid doesn't work, you might need something stronger, like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, or CBT insomnia. CBT insomnia is a specialized kind of psychotherapy that's best done with a therapist, so we're not going to go into all the details about it here, but we will guide you towards some good resources for CBT insomnia, at the end of the podcast. For now, let's go right into first aid for insomnia. There are seven steps to take when you have trouble sleeping. One, get out of bed at a regular time, even on weekends, and even when you're sleep deprived. This will help keep your inner clock running on time. 
Sleep is a 24-hour cycle, and the cycle is anchored in the time you get out of bed in the morning. Not just get out of bed, but put your feet on the floor and stand up. Your circadian clock starts ticking when you stand up and move around. But what if you didn't sleep well, and getting up in the morning means you'll be even more sleep-deprived? That's okay. There are two biological forces that help us fall asleep at night. The first is called sleep drive, and the second is the circadian rhythm. Now, the circadian rhythm is that 24-hour cycle that starts with getting out of bed. It's also set by light and darkness, so we're going to talk today about keeping the evening lights low and the morning lights bright to help this circadian cycle keep on track. Sleep drive is the other force, and this one builds up the longer we stay awake. Sleep drive is literally your body's natural sleep medicine. It's called adenosine. Adenosine levels start to rise when you wake up and they build up throughout the day. And this chemical makes you more sleepy as it builds up. So if you're sleep deprived and you get up early and avoid naps, your adenosine will rise, making it more likely that you crash into sleep at the end of the day. This is just one of the ways that your body self-corrects. Okay, hold up. Isn't sleep deprivation bad for you? Shouldn't I sleep in for my health? On that one, the answer is clear. Sleep deprivation is bad for your health, but only if it goes on too long. If you sleep in in the morning, it will prolong the problem of insomnia and sleep deprivation. But if you allow yourself a little sleep deprivation for a day, your body will self-correct. Now, we're not saying here that you're definitely going to fall asleep the next night. Nothing is that certain, particularly when it comes to the human body. What we can tell you is that following these steps will make the insomnia and the sleep deprivation that comes from it go away faster. And we have some reassuring medical news for you about that. One reason that insomnia is bad for your health is that it increases inflammation. Inflammation is when your immune system goes to war with your own body, causes obesity, depression, and chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease. What's interesting is that following these steps, allowing some short-term sleep deprivation in order to fix a long-term problem, actually lowers inflammation and improves immune function. The result is better physical health and fewer viral infections, because a healthy immune system is what fights off viruses and other infections. Now for step two, avoid daytime naps. It's tempting to nap when you don't sleep well, and no doubt it's gonna make you feel better in the short term, but napping will prevent your body's natural recovery mechanisms from kicking in for the same reason that sleeping in does. When you nap, you drain all that adenosine, the body's natural sleep medicine, and you'll confuse your internal clock. Say, if you nap from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., your body's going to think that 3 p.m. is the new morning. Well, I heard that napping was healthy, particularly in old age. And don't some cultures take a siesta every afternoon? Yes, napping can be healthy, but not if you have insomnia. If you have insomnia, cut out all naps until the problem goes away. Then, if you want to, you can carefully add them back in. If you're sleeping fine, just continue with them. But if these naps disrupt your sleep, you should seriously consider putting them to rest.
three, only use the bed for sleep and sex. The idea here is to train your body to associate the bed with rest. A lot of people with insomnia say that they can only fall asleep on the sofa. What's going on there is that they've come to associate the bed with struggle, the struggle to fall asleep. So don't study in bed, read in bed, or worry in bed. You only want to be in bed when you're falling asleep or close to it, or having sex. We're not going to take that away. And an orgasm actually causes sleep-inducing neurohormones to rise. But sex is also a form of exercise. It gets your heart rate and respiratory rate running. Shouldn't you avoid exercise, though, before bed? Maybe, but that's not as big a deal as it's made out to be. Exercise is very helpful for sleep. It's particularly good at deepening sleep quality, so we recommend it as part of these seven steps. But what about exercising right before bed? Well, a half dozen studies have looked at that, and here's what they found. Exercise deepens sleep, even when it was done just before bed. The only problem it caused was a mild one. It took some people a little longer to fall asleep if they exercised right before bed, and they had a racing heart when they got into bed. That makes sense, because when your heart is pumping all that adrenaline, it is hard to fall asleep. The best time to exercise for sleep is in the early morning or the late afternoon. But if you have to do it before bed, it's still better than not exercising at all. Four, avoid caffeine, particularly after 2 p.m. Remember adenosine? That's the chemical that makes you sleepy and goes up the longer you stay awake? Well, here's news. Caffeine works by blocking adenosine. If you have insomnia, you need all the help you can get, and you don't want anything to come between you and your adenosine. But don't stop caffeine abruptly. Doing so can cause withdrawal headaches and a lot of other problems. All things in moderation and all things gradual. If you do use caffeine, try to cut it off by 2 p.m. Caffeine has a half-life of 2 to 9 hours, which means that after 2 to 9 hours, your caffeine level falls by 50%. And after 10 to 45 hours, it leaves your body entirely. There's a lot of variation there because everyone metabolizes caffeine differently. But another tip is to switch to tea. Tea has less caffeine, and it also has a helpful antioxidant called L-theanine, which reduces anxiety, lowers blood pressure, and promotes sleep. 5. Avoid alcohol at night. Alcohol is not really a sedative. This drink is more complex than that. Let's look at how alcohol affects the brain over time after drinking it. Right after you drink, alcohol's first effect is usually stimulating. It makes people more active. Then it makes them drowsy. But if they fall asleep with alcohol in their system, it's going to lighten that sleep quality. And you know, the goal here is not just to get to sleep, but to get restorative sleep. An alcohol-induced slumber won't improve your memory, concentration, and energy like the sleep you need to do. Then, as alcohol leaves your system in the evening while you're asleep, it can make you suddenly wake up like at 3 in the morning, often dehydrated and a little hungover. Now, we're not denying here that there is a small benefit buried in all those risks, that alcohol can make you fall asleep, but even that effect is short-lived because tolerance quickly builds up where you need more and more of it, and eventually it doesn't work at all. Six, 
set the stage for sleep. The brain needs time to shift from wide awake to sound asleep. You can gradually shift it there by setting the stage for sleep in the half hour before bed, or two hours if you can muster the time. Oh, here's the ingredients. A. Get it darker. Lower those lights and avoid blue light. Blue light is the wavelength that keeps us up at night, and it's also the type of light that pours out of computers, screens, and energy-efficient bulbs. Often this light looks white, but there's a lot of blue in it. For some low-cost, good-quality blue light-blocking glasses, go to psycheducation.org and search for the post Dark Therapy in Six Steps. We recommend wearing those glasses two hours before bed for the best results. Next is B. Pitch darkness when asleep. And that post also has tips for getting your bedroom pitch dark, which is very important for sleep. Even a nightlight can disrupt sleep, as well as mood and health. In one study, people who slept with a nightlight on had twice the risk of depression two years later, and they also gained more weight because evening light interferes with metabolism. Those risks all go up the more light there is in the room. If you have to have a light on, the Dark Therapy page suggests some brain-friendly nightlights that won't interfere with sleep. C. Temperature. A drop in temperature will make your sleep chemicals rise. This works even if you stay warm by bundling up under the covers. How cold? Sleep doctors recommend 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. That's cold. But if you don't want to pay a high-energy bill, try a fan. The wind chill will lower the effective temperature and create some white noise as well. D. Sound. Some people find it helpful to use white noise. Nature sounds like waves or crickets or relaxing music before bed. But does it work? The studies say yes, and here's how they proved it. They asked half the people to listen to relaxing classical music and focus on the notes as they drifted asleep. The other half were guided to do something else that might help, like audiobooks or muscle relaxation. But in these studies, music worked better and by a pretty big degree, about the same degree of effect we see with sleep medicines. A good tune to start with is Weightless by Marconi Union. It's on Spotify and YouTube, and we're playing it in the background right now. This song was a collaborative effort between sleep researchers and musicians, and in studies it lowered blood pressure, reduced anxiety, and helped people fall asleep faster than comparable songs like Enya. Just don't drive while listening to it. E. Scent. Aromatherapy can help sleep. Scents taken in through the nose have real effects on the brain. The best studied scents for sleep are lavender, bergamot, chamomile, and cypress. But this varies a lot by person, just like music does, so find what works best for you, or skip it if it's not helpful. Don't overdo it though, a light aromatherapy is what works the best. This last step is the hardest, so don't sweat it if you can't make it work. Anxiety, worry, and active problem solving all put the brain on high alert, and that's not conducive to sleep. This is part of the vicious cycle of insomnia. First you don't sleep, then you worry about sleep, and the anxiety just makes you more alert and more awake. If you find yourself worrying at night and can't fall asleep, let it be, and move on to the next step. Or work with your therapist to discover strategies to turn the worry down like mindfulness, deep breathing, CBT, and progressive muscle relaxation. 
And that brings us to step seven. Don't force sleep and only go to bed when you're tired. Although you want to wake up at regular times, you don't want to be too rigid about your bedtime because it's just too hard to control. You should try to keep that sleep wind-down time at a regular time, but sometimes you just can't get to sleep and you don't want to get too worried or try to force it. Trust your body to sleep when it needs to. As long as you don't nap in the day or fall asleep so early that you're up most of the night, this principle is not going to steer you wrong. When insomnia goes on too long, people lose trust in their body's natural sleep mechanisms. Then they try to take control of those sleep gears, but those gears were not designed for manual operation. The result is frustration and further breakdown of the gears. By the way, there's a good reason that these sleep gears weren't designed for stick shift mode. When you drive a stick shift, you know, you have to be awake to operate the gears. Otherwise, the car's going to crash. And that's the paradox of insomnia. Falling asleep is about as complicated biologically as landing an airplane. There is no way that your body would let you operate such delicate controls. You know, the ones that make sure that you're still breathing while you're actually asleep? Unless you were wide awake, which means that you would never fall asleep. And that's why these sleep mechanisms are all unconscious and operate outside of our control. Now, if you've been tossing and turning in bed and can't fall asleep after about 20 minutes, get out of bed and just approximate the 20-minute thing. Don't watch the clock. Move to another room and sit in the dark or wear those blue light filtering glasses until you feel tired. Then, once you're tired, get in bed and try again. This step is going to do two things. It'll help keep your body from associating the bed with that struggle of tossing and turning. And, on the nights when you don't sleep well, it's going to build up your sleep drive through the little bit of sleep deprivation that comes with getting out of bed. Finally, this step reminds you to trust your body's own mechanism by only getting into bed when you're tired, naturally tired, and not trying to force yourself to be tired. There's just no way to do that. Well, these steps aren't easy, and many of them are counterintuitive. After all, we're suggesting that sleep deprivation is your friend, not your enemy, when struggling with insomnia. Because sleep deprivation raises the biological drives that help you fall asleep. So why should you trust us? Well, dozens of well-designed studies have found that these steps actually work. But what if they don't work? Then you may need something stronger, and that's where cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia comes in, or CBT insomnia. CBT insomnia uses the same principles as we've discussed here in First Aid for Insomnia, but it applies them in a more rigorous and scientifically measured way. In this therapy, you're actually going to calculate a lot of cool metrics about your sleep, like sleep efficiency, and you'll use those numbers to figure out exactly how much time you should be spending in bed. CBT insomnia works as well as sleep medication over the short term, like after a few weeks, and over the long term it works even better than sleep medicine. That's why the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, the National Institutes of Health, and the American College of Physicians have all recommended CBT insomnia above sleep medicine for insomnia. CBT insomnia also improves depression 
and it can make antidepressants work better because sleep and mood are so tightly linked. But what if you're already taking sleep medicine? Well, you can use sleep medications while working on CBT insomnia or while following the steps in this podcast. In fact, if you're taking sleep meds and they're not working, you may need to add in one of these behavioral therapies. The question often comes up, though, do you need to do anything different when taking a sleep med? Well, not really. You just need to be cautious about getting out of bed after taking that medicine. Sleep medicines are likely going to affect your balance, and some of them can make your blood pressure drop. So if you or your doctor, and I suggest you talk to your doctor about it if you're taking a sleep med, think that you're at risk for falls after taking one of those meds, definitely skip the rule about getting out of bed when you can't sleep. While CBT insomnia works well, it is hard to find. Few therapists are trained in it, so ask your doctor or look for therapists with CBT training and ask them if they know about this specialized version of CBT for sleep. You can also find a certified therapist at www.behavioralsleep.org. Because sleep therapists are so hard to find, a few apps have been developed for self-guided CBT insomnia, and this works well if you're motivated. But if you have depression, it may be difficult to do on your own. A good free app is CBTI Coach. And there's also a prescription app called Somrist. S-O-M-R-Y-S-T. That's right, the same government agency that approves medications, the FDA, also approves apps. Somrist is not out yet, but should be available in 2021. And with a doctor's prescription, your insurance company may pay for it. Finally, there are self-guided books. Dr. Aiken has one, The Depression and Bipolar Workbook, which includes a full guide to CBT insomnia, along with two dozen other techniques to improve mood and energy. Two books that focus just on sleep are Say Goodnight to Insomnia by Greg Jacobs or End the Insomnia Struggle by Colleen Ernstrom. We've spelled out all those references for you in the podcast notes. Thanks for listening. And if you like this podcast, let us know by leaving a review in your Apple store. We read them all. We'll be back on the first Monday of each month, next time with a stress management technique, the Mindful Breather. The Carlat Report is an independent publisher of all things psychiatric. Its books, journals, and podcasts have operated free of advertising and pharmaceutical industry support since 2003.